Okay, so I've got scripture reading for today, reading from Exodus 33, verses oh, 3318 to 34:7. Then Moses said, "Now show me your glory." And the Lord said, "I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will pro proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion." But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed, passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. The Lord said to Moses, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones, and I will write them Write on them the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. Be ready in the morning, and then come up on Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. No one is to come with you or be seen anywhere on the mountain. Not even the flocks and herds may graze in front of the mountain. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up Mount Sinai early in the morning, as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, so we're looking at the moment uh, at what it means to know God and uh, this beautiful pursuit of us as Christians in knowing God. And in some sense, it's, it's our highest call as Christians uh, in what it is to know God. Uh, and it's yeah, so important for us as we learn and figure out who this God is that we worship and how important he is to our lives. And so last service, we looked a little bit at this, um, yeah, this kind of concept of knowing God and how, yeah, implying that to know someone, uh, you have a mutual relationship. There's a mutual uh, relationship going back and forth that uh, needs to be deepened. And when you actually know someone, that there's this relationship involved and a deepening of that as we get to know them more. And so like if we were having a, if we had a relationship, if we had a friendship, uh, you could get to know me by just chatting with me and having a conversation with me. You could figure out some hobbies of mine, uh, some interests. You could you know, just talk about running with me or something. Uh, get to know me on, on a basic conversational level. Uh, but to know me further, you could spend time with me in our, in our home. You could just hang out at our house. You know, it would be a little bit weird, but that's fine. You can come over if you want. Uh, we've got a spare bedroom. Uh, we can blow up a, a, a spare mattress. Um, but you could, you could hang at our house and you would know me uh, more hanging out with me at, at, at our house. You would see, hopefully you'd see that I'm, I'm mostly gracious and kind to my family and those who visit, uh, but that I occasionally get frustrated and agitated when things don't quite work out my way. I can sometimes raise my voice uh, just in the heat of the moment and it upsets particularly our youngest child at any tone of voice that goes a bit higher. She can't handle it. Um, 
But hopefully you would see that uh, the, the, the kind character that I have, hopefully. Uh, and, uh, but anyway, you would see like the different sides of me. You'd see my character in the different ways. And we all, we're human. We all, we all make mistakes. We all, uh, you know, hopefully do good as well. And so if you were hanging out with me in my house, you would actually get to know me more. If you, you came to a family games night, which is a whole lot of fun, and uh, we get our, our family over once a fortnight, and we have a games night. You would know as another side of my character if you were at that games night. Uh, yeah, if you, you were hanging out with me with, with my friends, you'd again get a different side of my character and, and a different side of who I am. And so likely our, our character comes out in different settings, at different times, and with different people. Different sides of us uh, are being shown. So it is when we approach God, there's this certain character that we see and, and experience of him. And this character of him, this, this view of God is shaped, firstly, it is shaped by our relationship with him, by how we connect and, and relate to God. But it also is shaped by our upbringing, by how our family has known God. It's, it's shaped by what others around us have said about God, how others have, have experienced God. So much of how we see God has actually been warped and, and skewed by what's been going on in our lives. We don't have this full picture of God. And even more so, God is a God who is so great and so grand, we, we can't fully know him. There's no comprehension of fully knowing God. There's, there's an ever-growing ever knowledge that we can have of God. You cannot fully know him. And so with this pursuit, this, this desire of, of us to know God, because this is so difficult, sometimes it just kind of gets put to the side, gets put in the, the too hard basket and this is just a bit, there's just so much to comprehend. It's so, um, you know, detailed and it's difficult to actually fully know, how do I know God? And so we, we kind of put that in the too hard basket. We move on to build our careers, build our wealth, build our families, build our own lives. We kind of move on from wanting to fully pursue God and we can easily get sucked into building ourselves. And when that happens, uh, we often become superficial with God. We understand him by his hobbies and interests. What excites God, we can kind of get a glimpse at that, but we don't actually get deep into knowing who he is. And this is a great problem in the church today. This is a problem within each, each of us that we can get into the trap of being superficial with God. Richard Foster, who uh, writes uh, yeah, a really great book on spiritual disciplines, he, he says this, uh, he says that superficiality is the curse of our age. The doctrine of instant satisfaction is a primary spiritual problem. The desperate need today is not for a greater number of intelligent people or gifted people, but for deep people. For deep people. See, we want to see his character, God's character, more fully so that we can know him more deeply. That we can ourselves, in turn, be more deeper people, not shallow and superficial and just on the surface getting what we want. But we actually want to go deeper and understanding more of who we are 
And then you can see that in our world. People are scattered and more worried and anxious because they have this shallow existence of just getting what is superficial and what is just on, on the surface, but not actually going deep into who they are. And then as Christians, we, we fail to go deep in knowing God. And so we come to this passage here in Exodus. Uh, and this, this scripture here, and particularly in chapter 34, verse 6 to 7, that passage of scripture in 30, uh, Exodus 34, verse 6 to 7, that, that is the most quoted scripture within the Hebrew Bible. It's the most quoted scripture in the Hebrew Bible. So you'll see those words scattered throughout the Hebrew Bible, uh, you know, particularly throughout the Psalms and the prophets. They're referencing these characteristics of who God is. And particularly when an author wants to ad- identify who God is, they're, they're referencing this very scripture here. And so let's, let's actually take a look a, a little bit at the story behind what's going on. Now, the people of Israel, they... Uh, were enslaved. They were enslaved by Egypt and they were oppressed and they were slaves in Egypt. But God miraculously, through his hand, rescued them uh, through the power of, from the power of Pharaoh. Through the Red Sea, they rescued them out of that oppression uh, and led them into the wilderness, free from the power structures of Egypt, but into the wilderness. He rescued them from that oppression. And in the wilderness, God continued to be with them. He provided for them. He provided uh, food. Manna from heaven would come for their food every day. He provided water for them to drink. He, he guided them by a cloud during the day and a fire, a pillar of fire by night. God was con- consistently generous to these people. He's consistently there with them, trying to supply their need. But the people continue to, to grumble and complain always grumbling and complaining about their condition. So not long into their journey, Moses climbs the mountain, the great leader of of the people here. Uh, He climbs the mountain to speak to God. Um, From there, he is given, firstly, the Ten Commandments, uh, these commandments that are you know, very well known, uh, even in our culture today, uh, you know, some, of, some of those commandments are very well known. And particularly, uh, he comes down and he shares these commandments with the people. Now, the first two, they go like this. It says, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. Secondly is, you shall not make for yourself an idol. And then he goes on and rattles the rest of the Ten Commandments and some other commandments. There's a lot of commandments going on in this point. And the Israelites, they hear all that Moses says and their response is, all the words that you've, the Lord has spoken, we will do. So they're excited. Let's do this. Come on, let's get moving. So they're, they're happening. It's all, all going well. And then Moses, he uh, then goes back up to the mountain a second time. And at this time, he's, he's up on the mountain for 40 days, and, and God's giving him instructions on how to build the tabernacle. And the tabernacle was the dwelling place where God actually wanted to be right there in the camp with the Israelites. This is how you know, God wanted to relate to them and connect with them. He wanted to be right there, his presence in the camp with the Israelites. And so he's giving Moses the instructions on how to build this tabernacle. And then we we pick up this story here in Exodus 31, verse 18. And it says, When God finished speaking with Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave him the two tablets of the covenant, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. 
when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered around Aaron and said to him, Come, make gods for us. Who shall go before us? As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Aaron said to them, Take off the gold rings that are on the ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. So all the people took off the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took the gold from them, formed it in a mold, and cast an image of a calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Here, in this moment, Moses has gone for 40 days, just 40 days, and already the character of these people have been tested. Already the the first two commandments that were given in the law, the Ten Commandments, they have failed to make. They have failed to uphold. They already have have worshipped another God other than, uh, than God himself, the Lord himself, Yahweh. And also they have made an image of this golden calf to worship, the very thing that God asked them not to do. They have already committed. These people couldn't handle the fact that uh, God wanted to be in control. They wanted to control what was going on. They, didn't, they, they couldn't see all, everything that was happening. And so they, in their own way, wanted to control what was happening. And so uh, God, God is not okay with this. He was not okay with this. He was ready to wipe them all out. Let's smite them. He said to Moses, he was telling Moses, this is what's happening right now at the foot of the mountain. I'm just going to wipe them all out. I'm going to start with you, Moses. Let's do this again because these people are corrupt. They just don't get it. They don't want to have a relationship with me. So let's start again. But Moses, he intercedes. He's like, he actually intercedes calling on God's own character and says, remember, remember what you have promised. And God changes his mind and he relents. He has forgiveness. And so then Moses comes down the mountain. He's got these two tablets, which you know, the, the tablets are a symbol of the covenant commitment. It's like a marriage vows that they have made to say this, yes, we're going to follow the commitment that you've made. These tablets are this, this symbol of that commitment. Almost like a ring is a symbol of our marriage commitment. This, the, these tablets were like that, that commitment that, that we would make to keep, to follow you and, and listen to you. And so in utter despair and anger, Moses gets down from the mountain and he throws these tablets down on the floor. He's making a scene. He comes into this with this big scene. He sees everything going on, throws it on the ground. Uh, it would have been amazing to watch. And then what's next, what's amazing is he takes the golden calf, he burns it down, he grounds it into powder, scatters it on the water and makes the Israelites drink it. What a scene. It's amazing. Uh, The the tension in that moment would have been, yeah, thick, would have been thick. This This is a time of deep mourning, of deep repentance, of confronting the sin of the people. And it's in these moments of life that we get a revelation of the character of God. We actually see more closely when we have in hardship and difficulty and when we have failed, it's actually an opportunity for us to see further the character of God, to see further the the depth and breadth of who God 
is, because there are moments in our lives that we don't get it right, where we do fail, but that's an actual opportunity for us to see further who God is. And so it's in this deep moment of sorrow and repentance, Moses chooses to be in the, the meeting place with God, he chooses to come to God, and he asks God this question, God, show me your glory. Show me the, the very weight of who you are. Let me see a glimpse of who you are. May I have this intimate relationship with you. I want to know you more. I want to know you more deeply. Show me your glory. And God says, I'll, I'll pass by you, but you can just see my back. For if you see my face, you will die. Such is the greatness and the holiness of our God. And so then God rewrites the covenant again, rewrites these tablets again with the finger of God, recommitting himself again to these people, these corrupt people. And he passes by Moses. He's there with him. And it's in this moment God shares his own character to Moses. These incredible words in Exodus 34, verse 6. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. This is the statement that gets said time and time again throughout the Hebrew Bible, this view and character of God and such an important statement. And some of these, um, these attributes we're actually going to kind of uncover and look at in the coming months of uh, who God is and how we can actually know him more. And the first thing to note of this, this statement there at the beginning, um, there's uh, this, the use of the Lord, the Lord. It said it twice, this doubling and this this, uh, the Lord, that statement there is actually the divine name, Yahweh. And so Yahweh is saying, Yahweh, Yahweh. And this doubling of his name is actually done nowhere else other than this moment in the Hebrew Bible. And it's kind of insisting here that it, this is what God is saying. He's like, this, this is who I am. He's making this exclamation of this is who I am. This is really important for you to understand who I am as your God. Understanding these words and understanding this character is so critical for actually understanding who I am as a God. And so, yeah, we're going to have a look at these characteristics over the, the coming months. We're not going to unpack it all tonight, unfortunately. <laughs> There's so much to unpack. It's beautiful. Uh, but, yeah, if we have a look at the whole arc of the actual statement, we, we can actually pick up on two th key threads that are going on. And that is the thread that God is both loving, he's slow to anger, but he's also just, that he won't declare the guilty innocent. And this is a tension we hold as Christians, that we have a God who's both loving and just. This can be a tension or it's beautiful. It's something that is actually beautiful and something that we just admire about God. But it's, it's a key question that we can ask ourselves. The question is, how do we approach a God who is both loving 
and just? How do we come close to a God who is both loving and just? This is what we're going to look at tonight, and there's two kind of thoughts around how we can approach this kind of God. Firstly, we need repentance. We need repentance. As we come close to a God who is both loving and just, we need repentance. See, in this moment, Moses is in repentance. He is in sorrow as he's mourning the sin of the people. He's come before God in repentance, going, come on, forgive us, be here with us. If we look at the the message of Jesus as he came to earth, his ministry as he started, the the statement that he started with is, repent for the kingdom of God has come. Repentance was key for the work and ministry of Jesus. As we look at the prophet Joel, as he was urging the people of Israel to turn to God, he references this character of God, but he also references it around a statement of repentance. In in Joel chapter 2, verse 12, it says, Yet even now, says the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Return to me, says the Lord. Rend your hearts and not your clothing. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and relents from punishing. Who knows whether he will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. There's this heart that comes through the prophets that when the people of Israel have turned to their own ways and doing their own thing, there's this heart of the prophets saying, come on, we need to come to a place of repentance. We need to actually come and live a life of repentance, laying down what we think we knew about God and life and go, God, we've been so prideful and arrogant in thinking that we know what's best. Lord, we need you. A true heart that hungers after God is a heart that has repentance. This is a daily important call for us, a call to repentance. Now, if we look at the book of Jonah, there's a beautiful example here of this being used. Now, Jonah, uh, um, for those who are familiar with it, he gets a call from God to uh, go from the land of Israel and go to Nineveh. And Nineveh was the enemy's territory. That was where the Assyrians lived. That's the, the, the very people who uh, overtook Israel. Um, and so Jonah was called to go to Nineveh to, to preach repentance. And that was God's call. I want you to go to this land, this enemy land. Uh, but Jonah he decides, I don't want to do that. I'm going to go in the complete opposite direction. I'm off to a ship to Tarshish because I do not want to go to that that evil place of Nineveh and preach repentance. That's not what I want. And so he, he gets on a ship to go to Tarshish. Now, uh, there's a little, inter, for me, a little quote from me from Eugene Peterson. He, he's got a book uh, called the Under the Unpredictable Plant. It actually is a whole book about the, the book of Jonah. Beautiful, amazing book. Uh, and he's got this little section about Tarshish. He says this, he says, And why 
Tarshish. For one thing, it is a lot more exciting than Nineveh. Nineveh was an ancient site with layer after layer of ruined and unhappy history. Going to Nineveh to preach was not a coveted assignment for a Hebrew prophet with good references, but Tarshish was something else. Tarshish was exotic. Tarshish was adventure. Tarshish, in the biblical reference, was a far-off and sometimes idealised port. It is reported in 1 Kings 10.22 that Solomon's fleet of Tarshish fetched gold, silver, ivory, monkeys, and peacocks. Exciting place. In Tarshish, we can have a religious career without having to deal with God. That's a powerful statement right there. In Tarshish, we can have a religious career without having to deal with God. And that is what's so easy for us today in our culture. It's easy to get allured and pulled and distracted by our, what our culture offers. It's easy to want a religious career or even a religious persona without actually having to deal with God himself. And we, in our culture, uh, we can at times become apathetic towards God. We can become tired of, of God's purposes for our lives as we get pulled and allured by what Tarshish means for us. And that pull kind of makes us not even deal with God himself because we're just so pulled in this other direction. Now, the story of Jonah, you know, as well known, he kind of jumps off the ship uh, in a big storm, um, almost in an act to kind of kill himself, uh, and yet he is swallowed by a giant fish, and he lives in the belly of a fish uh, for three days, and begrudgingly he repents and says, okay, I'll go to Nineveh if I have to. He gets to Nineveh only to give the shortest, probably most upset teenager type sermon there is. It's actually just five words, sermon, five, word, five Hebrew words. Um, he gives this sermon to Nineveh and says, 40 days more and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's it. That's all he says. No mention of God, just 40 days more and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Clearly, he didn't care for this project. Clearly, he didn't care for these people. But God still moved and uh, the news reached the king, uh, and the king repents, and he's in mourning. He you know, rips his clothes as the sign of, of mourning, and the whole uh, city repents before God. And, uh, yeah, the point of the story actually comes uh, post this. Nineveh's been saved. God's rescued uh, the people of Nineveh. Uh, and Jonah, he comes outside of the city. And he's praying before God. And this is where it comes. In Jonah uh, chapter 4, verse 1, it says, But this was very displeasing to Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said while I was still in my own country? That is why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning. For I knew that you are gracious God and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And you're ready to relent from punishing. And now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Moody man. 
This is what this, yeah, this contempt that he had towards God. He, he thought he knew better. He didn't want to see his enemy being rescued. He went in the opposite direction, had his own plan, didn't want to submit and, and be in repentance towards God, but had his own vision. And so uh, for us, when I, when I read this, I, I kind of am pulled to God. What, what is it in me that I want to do my own way? that I'm not actually living in a repentant heart, but I actually want to follow my plans, go after the Tarshish of my life. We all have this attempt. We all have this desire in us to, to kind of move away from the things of God and actually do our own thing. This is the human sinful nature that's inside of us that pulls us in that direction. And so our call is actually to be in a place of repentance to be in repentance constantly before our God. And so how does this look? It actually firstly looks by us identifying what is the Tarshish of our hearts. What is the Tarshish of me? Like what, what am I pulled to, that, that desire of, of my life that, I, that just grips me and pulls me in that direction, that, that is actually not in the direction that God wants me to take. What pull is so far from, from where God is, and it actually even causes me to be angry and upset with, with God and his character. And so we actually need to identify and look at that for ourselves. And that requires time. That requires actually thinking and allowing space for God to speak to us. It, re- it requires questioning what, what goes through and on with you. It actually also requires maybe talking it through with others. And um, bringing this with others, I, I was actually doing this the other morning on, um, as I was preparing this, I again um, was going, what, what's the Tarshish of my heart? What's, what is it in me that um, I've been pulled in, in that direction? And I was on a run just thinking about it and um, bringing this to God. And then uh, that, uh, after that run, I um, caught up with Michael, who unfortunately is unwell tonight, hence he's not him and Alan aren't here. Um, Michael is in this community. Um, I caught up with him and I was just chatting it through with him again and, and it probably deepened even what I, I thought and understood about my view of my Tarshish. And so this is what it means, that we actually go on this journey of working out what is the pull of our hearts to help us identify what is pulling us in the opposite direction of where God wants us. And so that's the first step to identify that Tarshish of our hearts. And that's, that's kind of ongoing. That's a journey of life as we work out the, the pools of our hearts. Um, and then secondly, we need to make space for confession and repentance. It needs to be a part of our, our daily prayer that we actually bring, come to God confessing and going, God, I need you. I am a sinner. And so there's, there's a beautiful prayer, the Jesus prayer, which is an ancient prayer that, that is even something that you could pray in every morning. It's a simple prayer that just simply says, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. Now, if you were to pray that prayer for a couple of minutes, just repeating those words, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. God will begin to speak to you and reveal to you those things in your hearts. It's that disposition, God, I need your mercy. I need your mercy and love as we come to him and let him expose what's going on in us. And so reading through the scriptures, you will see repentance 
as an important key. It's, it's super important for the people of Israel. It's really important for Jesus, and it continues. It's so important for the early church. I was reading um, something in Acts this week, and again, it came up. This beautiful repentance is this constant theme, thread throughout the Bible that is so important for us to grab a hold of. Uh, and not forget, it's, repentance is not just something that you do when you just get saved, but it's a daily life of repenting and bringing who we are to God. So again, we, we need, number one, that repentance. Secondly, as we kind of look at how to know God uh, in this tension of both loving and just, first we need repentance. Secondly, we need to realize that God is so generous. He is so generous. As Cam was sharing about the generosity of God, as we give to him with our financial means, he is so generous, he provides for us. Uh, and this is something that has really been pulling me closer to him this year, um, is just the generosity of God. And uh, the reason that our repentance is key and is important, the reason for that is because God is so generous. He is so abundantly generous that he wants to pour out upon us the generosity of his life. And generosity doesn't just mean financial means. It means him just providing for what we need. It means mental health-wise. It means uh, that the peace and life, the joy, the, the fruit of the Spirit, he wants to provide for us so much. He is so generous. He is so generous. Again, that, that, um, those words from the prophet Joel he says, return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, bounding in steadfast love, and relents from punishing. But for some reason, we, we set up, we make up limitations about God's generosity. We think that he's generous only to those who are especially holy, those holy ones. We can think that maybe he's only generous to, to maybe my big needs, big things, really super things if I, if I, you know, really big happens. He's only generous if that happens. Or we can think that he, he's only generous only if I, if I do my part, if I play my bit, if I contribute to what I need to. There's all these kind of limitations we can put to God's generosity. We, we at times, make excuses for God's generosity. But all that is, those excuses, all it is is a lack of faith. Those excuses are a lack of faith. And I say these words only to be challenging myself <laughs> because this is, this is the, the, dial, like, I, the dialect that I'm, I'm, you know, the dialogue that I'm uh, giving to myself this, this year is, do I really trust that God is generous enough to provide? Do I really trust that he is actually moving in my life, that the things that I believe for, that he's going to actually do, the situations that I feel that God can bring freedom in, in people's lives, do I really believe and trust that he can do that? The, the times that I feel like the p things are all stretched and they're not, you know, financial gains are at a real stretch, do I truly believe God's going to provide? those relational tensions that we can have with a certain person, do I really believe God can bring restoration and healing? There's this, this stretching of our faith that when we actually believe in the generosity of God, it, it stretches our faith to really trust Him deeper. And so I've been challenged to trust 
and believe further in his generosity. If you look at these characteristics again, he is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in this loyal love and faithfulness. These are words that explain the the generosity of God being with his people throughout all this time, continuing to be there with them, him providing, him delivering him, him saving them. He is abundantly generous. Now, there's a sermon that I listened to uh, late last year uh, by a guy called Tim Mackey. Tim Mackey is a Bible scholar. Um, he's the co-founder of the Bible Project. He's incredibly uh, smart and, um, yeah, he knows his Bible really well. Uh, in, yeah, incredible resource, uh, the Bible Project, who do incredible things to help people understand the Bible deeper. But he was asked to share uh, at a 24-7 prayer conference. And he explains at the beginning of this, this sermon that uh, he was, felt a little bit out of his comfort zone. His comfort zone is talking about the Bible. He could do that all day long. But to be asked to talk about prayer was a little bit new for him. And so he, he shares about a kind of a journey that he's been on uh, of kind of rediscovering God through prayer rhythms in a way that has been um, yeah, so powerful for him, particularly in the last couple of years. And he shares of a journey. And um, this story really kind of grabbed me as I've listened to it late last year and it's kind of been ringing in my ears and my thoughts um, this year as well. And it's a story about him trekking, going on an adventure up a mountain, which is kind of the theme for us at the moment. Going up a mountain. Come on. Um, he, yeah, Tim Mackey was on this uh, three-day hike and the, the point of the hike was to have space to meet and uh, talk with God and to talk with him about kind of big things that are going on in his world. And he was on the journey and he, he got a, a few hours in and he was kind of looking for a spot to make camp for the night. Um, and uh, he, yeah, he, he gets startled. He looks and he hears something in the bushes moving. And it startles him and he looks and uh, he notices there was a woman crouching down in the bushes. And he just kind of assumed she was relieving him, herself. And so he turns and goes in, in another direction. And then the woman stands up. And she wasn't going to the toilet, uh, but her mouth had kind of had purple blue stains on it. And she kind of just turns to him and says, these huckleberries are amazing. And, uh, you know, Tim looks up and he realizes that in front of him and all around him were these uh, big wild bushes of huckleberries with these huge huckleberries, which I had to Google what huckleberries are because <laughs> they basically look like big blueberries. <clears throat> um, I don't have no clue what they taste like. Uh, but here they are in, in, uh, in the States uh, and he's got these wild huckleberries all around him and he, he looks behind him and, and for miles he's been walking in this terrain where there's just flooded by huckleberry trees and they're full of this fruit just right there for the picking. And so he just spent the next three days hiking uh, and at any time he needed a snack, he had these huckleberries available to him, just ready to eat and just enjoy um, on his three-day journey. And uh, he talked about kind of contemplating and thinking about this over his hike and, uh, yeah, realised that there was a thread to this story and how he's experienced God, particularly in the last couple of years, in his pursuit of uh, connecting 
and being more intimate with God, being more deeper with him and discovering that God is so generous. He thought of this, this example and realized that there's actually so much fruit and life all around him happening all the time. But often we get so distracted, often we get so pulled in other directions that we miss altogether the, the generosity of God. We miss altogether that the fact that there's huckleberries all around us. And it took just this woman actually standing up and saying, look at all these huckleberries, to actually for him to realize that, wow, there is so much going on all around me. And so there's the, that, that phrase has just kind of been ringing in my ears of look at the huckleberries all around you. That the generosity and the blessing of God is available to us, around us, that we just actually need to be aware. Our eyes need to be open to what God is able to do. Our, we need to be aware of how he can actually provide for us. The goodness, the generosity of God is everywhere. Look at the huckleberries around you. And I don't want to be someone who just gets pulled and distracted by what's going on in me, that I miss what God is doing and wants to do through my life and all around me. The huckleberries are everywhere. And so may the generosity of God shape how we see the world. May the generosity of God help us to believe that he is able to provide for us. He is able to change uh, situations. He is able to, to move in, in the life and in the world around us. And so where do we start? Where do we begin with this? How do we keep pursuing the generosity of God? For me, uh, it starts with just the simple practice of silence, this thing that we try and do in our service and the thing that uh, I try and do every morning is beginning the morning with just silence before God, spending three to five minutes of just sitting. And this silence actually, you know, I often don't get a big revelation in these moments, but it's actually a, a, just a position for myself to say, I'm not in control. I don't dictate the terms of my life, but Lord, I'm just still before you. And I just believe that you're with me. You're a part of my life. I think the act of that silence is really important. It has, it's been important and part of um, the church in history of people's practice as they come to God. And so, yeah, I encourage you, um, spend time, even if it's a couple of minutes, um, as you begin the day, come before God to say, Lord, you're in control. I come with, with a repentant, humble Hearts, and even you know, from that, you could you could uh, have a moment of saying the Jesus prayer of Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's a good space to kind of be in that place uh, and come before God. And then throughout our day, as we go about our day, start seeing the opportunity, start believing God, you're going to show me and help me see the, the what you are do, what you are doing, you at work in the world around me. And even just in small things, I've been trying to, to pick up in, in small moments and moments that I can just ask God for help and ask God to, to move in this circumstance. We, all, we can all actually in our daily lives see moments and have moments where we just stop and ask God to be with us. And, you know, sometimes it's hard. That's not always easy. Life 
kind of is quick and it keeps moving. And there are days that I don't do that. There are days that I'm, I, I get to the end, I'm like, yeah, I, I was just consumed with um, what I'm doing. And that, you know, that happens. But that, that's, that doesn't mean we, we can't start the next day and go, God, we believe that you're going to move in our lives and that you're going to keep providing. You're going to keep moving in me as we yeah, pursue you, as we want to know you more deeper. And so how do we begin to approach a God who's both loving and just? Firstly, we need repentance. Secondly, we need to realize that God is so generous. Well, we were going to come to a time of communion, but unfortunately, our Father Steve's uh, come down unwell today. Um, uh, so we, yeah, we're not going to be partaking in communion this evening, but we, we are going to have a time uh, of worship. And so if the team want to come up, um, now we're going to have a time of worship um, as we just come before God and actually even even with this disposition of God we want to repent before you and we want to believe again with faith that you are so generous you are so generous and so even as the, the team um, sing this song uh, if you want to um, this, this space out the front is, we're going to kind of open up this space as a space where you can even consecrate before God and say, God, I, I want to give you my heart again. I want to come before you and say, Lord, I, I'm sorry for the things that I've done wrong. And Lord, help me with faith. Build this in me, a heart of generosity, to see your generosity. And so, yeah, just want to open up this space for you to be able to come and, um, yeah, give yourself again to God present yourself to God. Uh, but just before the team starts singing, I just want to read the, kind of an insert from the book of John. Um, just as Moses uh, came before God and says, show me your glory, Moses was not able to see God face to face. He could only see his back. But, but there, was one that it, there is one that is greater than Moses. He not only sees, he saw his face, but he saw his heart. And he fully knows God because he is God. One that we worship Jesus and he is the most generous gift of all. The greatest gift that we actually get to celebrate is Jesus giving his life for us. He's the one that we can know. And as we know Jesus, we know the Father, we know God more fully. And so there's this scripture here in John, which kind of is, has links to what we're doing in Exodus, um, of how we see God and know him. It says that, and the word became flesh and lived among us. We have seen his glory the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. From his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only son who is close to the father's heart, who has made him known. And so we celebrate you, Jesus. We thank you that we can fully know you, our God, through you, Jesus, and all that you have given to us. And so we just want to 
pursue you, who you are in our lives, Lord. We want to see the generosity of God more fully and complete this year of, of seeing you moving in our lives. We humble our hearts to you, God. May you come rest in us now, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen.